Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing edition of Market Impact Insights. So to start off, I want you to sit back, close your eyes, and think about the best customer experience you ever had. It might be as a business decision maker, purchasing a system, tools for your team, anything at all. It might be as a consumer, uh, buying uh, any range of products or service. Think about that experience and think about how good you felt when your experience exceeded your expectations. So we're going to talk today about a huge opportunity for organizations that are starting to realize just how powerful customer experience, customer service, and support, how vital that is to differentiating and achieving long-term customer loyalty. And we're going to explore that with Jerry Leisure. And Jerry knows a lot about this topic. He is a passionate, high-energy, collaborative, and innovative customer success executive that over the past 20 years has led and guided best-in-class organizations in driving more than $100 million in revenue. And He's achieved that success built around a concept of leadership that we're going to explore a little bit today, what he calls the ethos principles. And I want to get into a little bit of that uh, with him because I think it'll be great learning for all of us. And just a little bit more about Jerry. When I talked about the success track record he's had, uh, he is an entrepreneur. He is the founder, CEO of Officium Labs. But prior to that, he built up uh, all of this solid track record with major technology companies, including Microsoft, Symantec, Autodesk, Postmates, Kabam in the gaming space, and more. So wide range of uh, market segments and experiences that uh, he's going to bring into the conversation today. And more importantly, he does truly believe that the key to all true customer success starts with the user experience, personal engagement, and then, of course, following that up with an amazing set of technology capabilities. So we'll get into all of that. But first off, Jerry, I wanted to welcome you to Market Impact Insights. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better, get to know your audience better, and share a topic that's really close to my heart. Well, Jerry, your whole career has been built around this thread of customer service, customer experience. And I'm curious, what really drove your passion to focus your career path along those lines? You know, it's a great question. Ever since I was young, I've always kind of had the services DNA inside of me. I've always enjoyed serving and, and helping people. Uh, and so when I was at university, when I needed to make some extra money, I said, oh, I should go get a services job. I should go find a job where 
I can help people. And so I looked around kind of the, all, all the different opportunities and the highest paying one was a call center job. And I was like, well, I'm going to, I could do a call center job. I've never done that before. I'm essentially just going to talk to people all day and help them with whatever challenges that they've had. And so I started off in that kind of call center job. And then as I kind of really enjoyed it and had a great experience, I kind of excelled at it and then started to move up the the ranks from there into varying different positions. Um, but it's always kind of had this thread of services, uh, which is, you know, the name of our company now, Officium is Latin for service. So it's always been kind of that service DNA ever since I was very young to now. Wow. So it, it started off when you were very young and, you know, as you have gone in, you've built all of this professional experience in, in all these different companies. How have you seen technology and innovation change how that service experience actually works and, and how customers are supported? And, you know, has it really changed how you define what a truly exceptional customer experience is? I think so. I mean, when you look back at what customer experiences used to be uh, in, in the 90s when you weren't storefront, right? You essentially had these brick and mortar one-stop shops where you called them, you got stuck in their phone tree. In a, on occasion, you got a really great company that really knew how to do, deliver good customer service. They were staffed right. And that agent was trained with the right soft skills and, you know, the right product knowledge to help you. But all too often, it was, you know, it was kind of like the queue of hell in customer service. Back <laughs> oh, in, yeah, I can remember yeah. in, the, in the 80s and 90s. But I think what's interesting, so there's been a number of technology shifts in the last 20 to 30 years that have really moved to being more customer centric, right? More personalized experience. Uh, so I think one was the internet itself was a huge technology shift because we moved from talking on the phone to be able to talk to companies or engage them online, whether it's chat, you know, whether it's email. I remember when voice over IP was all the rage uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, but it changed the way we engaged. And then you have the advent of the smartphone, which, which further kind of brought not only that conversation between me and my computer with the company, but now I could have a conversation with the company on the go. And then as the advent of the smartphone came, you started to see companies that wanted to build services and capabilities and engagement methods on that smartphone that they hoped would you know, drive stickiness and a better experience. And then as we continued kind of over the next 10 or 15 years, you start to see these consumer companies really focused on how can I actually deliver an amazing experience where they never actually leave my app. So it wasn't, it wasn't just about getting product support for hardware. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was also about like, hey, let's build products right into the phone and make them sticky and keep them you know, in the phone and having a good time. So a good example of this is in the 80s and 90s, you would have had a console video game system, right? And now you have mobile mobile video game systems quite responsive quite sticky so i think it's the the internet uh, and the smartphone have been huge kind of technology shifts and just along that same stream we've seen some generational shifts in personalization and what and what people expect uh, there was a study that was done i think it was by forbes that said four percent of customers wanted a personalized experience in 2011 and now 88 percent do 
So you're oh, seeing wow. shifts in mindset as well as shifts in technology. Yeah, I think the other thing, Jerry, is thinking about it from the uh, customer side of things as they go into those experiences, just the expectation levels, the, this notion of right. real, real time. And then the other uh, thing from the provider standpoint is if you uh, don't meet expectations, if you deliver a bad experience, the ramifications are so much greater because of social media and the immediacy of the negative right. reviews, right? That's right. That's right. I think you win or lose a customer every day. That's been my motto for like the last five years. And that wasn't a motto back in the 90s, right? In the 90s, you could you could kind of market to a customer, they'd buy your product, and then you'd release another product and you market and they'd buy it. You know, And if there was a good relationship over the time, they'd keep buying your product. Now it's, and that's a kind of at the yearly cycle, right? Now it's at the daily cycle. Hey, you do something that I'm not happy with, I'm done with your product. And that's, it's a daily decision now. Absolutely. So Officium Labs, it's all about enabling companies to leverage customer experience to maximize customer value and revenue. And I know you're building a socially conscious customer experience marketplace to offer resources, best in class workers. And so we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, this is your first experience at founding a company. And I'm curious, Jerry, what's been the most amazing part of that journey and what's been the most challenging? And I guess I should say happy birthday because you just announced your one year anniversary. So <laughs> happy, happy anniversary. Thank you, man. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, we it was it, for some reason my my anniversary kind of lands on my wedding anniversary too. So my wife and I celebrated our wedding anniversary yesterday too. I think you know for for me to to kind of from a, a point of humility, I don't think I realized how hard it was to found a company. You know, I, I've worked in. An, a lot of large companies. I've even worked in startups, but I've never been the founder or the person that was responsible to keep everything going, right? And so it was very humbling to me as I went through the process, all the different experiences that I had, and, and then all of the other things that I didn't even know that a founder, you know, takes care of. But I think when I when I look at the lessons that I learned for myself, you know, in the first year or so, I mean, I think the first one was just taking care of people. And they'll take care of my bottom line. As a founder, sometimes I get a little bit anxious with the bottom line. I want to make sure we have enough you know, money for everyone. We want to make sure everything's working right. All the customers are happy. And in the end, we had a great first year. And it was all about our people. And then I think you know, after that, really focusing on that daily value, as I mentioned earlier, business, delivering that day, daily value to customers is super paramount. And as you know, the market shifted with COVID, so being able to pivot and try to adjust faster than the market has been important. And then I think the last couple of things is just continue to stay relevant, be flexible, and try to pay attention to what people have done in the past and learn from them. Those have all been lessons that, have, that I've kind of learned in my first year here as a founder. And when you think about just 12 months, it, in, in one sense, it's not a lot of time, but I'm sure in the midst of everything you've had to do, it probably feels incredibly compact, right? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in in looking at what Officium Labs is uh, trying to do, um, I came across this uh, phrase or this objective, which is decentralizing work and wealth across the globe. Can you talk a little bit more about what that means? Yeah, 100%. So we, when we built Officium, we believed that there's 
competent, capable, and very talented people all over the globe. So I grew up in a small town in Texas with 6,000, 7,000 people. And inside that town, there's not really any tech opportunities. You know, and I'm, I was kind of a techie as a kid growing up. So in order for me to have any meaningful tech opportunities, I had to go to tech hubs. I had to like move, right, to big cities. Uh, and so as I created a FISI, my, I, remind, I was reminded of myself at that young age that, you know, had I had that opportunity that I was looking for, I might have stayed in my local community and I might have supported my local community. And then, of course, the, the economy that I bring to the local community versus a tech hub, kind of there, there are shifts there, right? So the idea of a FISIM is we have a network of global and local workers uh, that provide uh, frontline customer service, that provide beta testing for games. We also provide kind of middle management staff AUG positions uh, for individuals, and we have executives placed as well. And so the, the idea of the network on the people side is to decentralize them and let the people work wherever they want to work, right? Which is essentially where they live. And then when you think about if people aren't needing to move to tech hubs to do their work, then the wealth that those people generate isn't centralizing in a, in a tech hub. So by decentralizing work, you're decentralizing wealth and moving wealth to tier two to tier five cities and allowing either smaller communities or smaller cities be able to maintain and keep wealth um, from their local um, citizens because they're not needing to move to these large tech hubs to find the same opportunities. So that's the, the kind of the general concept. If you think of the network as a mesh network, you've got your demand nodes, which is like uh, the clients, right? The work, and then you have your supply nodes, which is the workers. Um, and so we feel like if you have strong supply nodes all around the world, then you're gonna create a, a huge mesh network of opportunity for clients to be able to tap into in an on-demand fashion, capable, competent resources all over the globe. Yeah, you know, this trend of just going virtual, going remote with the customer support, that, that is so real. And I was just reminded of that, Jerry. I called my financial institution a couple of days ago, and they now, even in the uh, automated greeting now, have the statement, uh, we appreciate your patience if you hear children and animal noises in the background. So it's like, it's becoming institutionalized, right? I mean, in terms of just setting the expectation that we're not, it's not the traditional idea of the rows of cubes in a centralized physical call center. 100%, 100%. I think we started pre-COVID, but post-COVID, you know, it's kind of exacerbated or moved forward, depending on how you look at it, move forward some of the shifts that were, that were happening. I think Glassdoor did a, an analysis that looked at the way people are working from 2011 to today. And those those kind of information worker jobs, which is where customer experience jobs largely sit, they kind of grew from this 49% or so to 75% or so of folks that want to work from home, prefer to work from home. So there's that shift that was happening pre-COVID. And then post-COVID, obviously, a lot of people are working from, from home now. But I think after you know, we, we go through the COVID experience, we're going to probably see a lot more remote workers um, than we ever have in our hi history. Yeah, I don't think there's any going back. I don't think it's going to be the way it was. I think there's some some long-term alteration in that. And one of the really interesting things about 
your talent place marketplace solution is the the model for compensation for all of this human capital, right? It's it's really innovative. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we <clears throat> we we kind of formed or spun out of a, a wonderful company called Forte Labs, and they're a blockchain, uh, crypto, virtual kind of platform that works with video game companies to integrate blockchain technologies into their virtual economies. And so we have this ethos of traditional kind of payment, but also new and innovative uh, crypto and token payment that we really think a lot about. So when you think about the future future of where payments are going, uh, we talked about the future of work transformation earlier, right? When you think about the future of payments, you're starting to see billions and billions of dollars of value that are being created and generated in the, the crypto you know, blockchain space. And a lot of companies are using blockchain in many different ways. But for us, as we built our network, we really thought about, you know, how can we create a network that appreciates and compensates workers for the work that they do in traditional currencies, but also gives them the option to be able to to buy in or to earn cryptocurrencies. Uh, and, and so that's like one, we're looking at next-gen payment capabilities there. And we're working uh, with our partner company, PTI, which is a best-in-class payments platform, as we think through that um, and how we how we implement it. And then we're also looking at token economics and how we look at our the service economy overall and how that kind of plays into it. So we're really thinking, you know, how do we do business now? But then what does the future look like? So we're ready to pivot uh, when when the adoption is there. So you're really kind of paving the way. You're kind of at the front edge of, of this model. That's right. Okay. Okay. And so can you give some examples of some of the most critical industries where getting more efficiency and more effectiveness in sourcing these support workers and, and customer experience uh, staffing makes a real difference between winning or losing? That's uh, a great question that... Most companies have two main customer satisfaction measures or measurements that drive stickiness when it comes to customer service. One is how fast did I get my response? The second is, did that resolve my issue, right? And so what you find is a lot of companies that have large spikes in their volume it's really hard for them to staff with conventional means to hit the how fast did I get my response need from the customer, right? So when you look at gaming as an example, uh, whether it's a launch, whether it's a, a, an issue that's come up in the game, uh, whether there was a marketing blitz, whatever the cause is, you have this ability to get huge spikes in gaming volume. Uh, and so as you think about how do I staff uh, to those spikes to hit kind of that service level of, you know, whether it's five minutes or an hour or whatever it is, uh, you need you need burst capacity staffing or pay as you go, right? And so that's what the network Ethereum provides. As most customer service teams has have their base kind of five, ten, hundred, whatever the the size is, but they can't they can't absorb the spikes. And so the network with pay as you go on demand workers allows you to bring folks on hour by hour, scale up to the spike, solve the problem, and then scale them back down. And then when you have the next spike or when you have the next need, you have this bullpen of talented workers that have already 
been used on your product that you can use again. So gaming is an example. Uh, obviously, of late, there's been huge growth sectors that have been happening in the telehealth space. We have clients in telehealth where they just have huge spikes. And their spikes are, are less like gaming, so not so much of, hey, you got spikes intermittently. It's more like, hey, we just have a lot of volume right now. And we're not sure if the volume is going to last post-COVID. So we don't want to necessarily look at really constricting cost structures um, if we're not sure if the, if the volume is going to last. And so using a on-demand or pay-as-you-go uh, partner like Fissium allows you to kind of be able to deliver a high-quality re resolution time or response time in that way. And so there's other sectors. The delivery sector is another one that's, you know, kind of blowing up. And there's a variety of other sectors that are kind of blowing up right now. But traditionally, um, having been a forecast analyst earlier in my career, I've never worked on a product that didn't have some type of spikes, whether it was holiday retail spikes or other things. So there's always spikes. So it's how do you how do you ensure that customer gets a fast response, which is usually represents about 10 to 15 percent of their satisfaction score? Wow. Wow. Interesting. And so. As you mentioned earlier, your company has experienced meteoric growth over the last year. And doing that in, quote, normal times isn't easy. But doing that when you're also overlapping with a unprecedented global pandemic is really, really not easy. I'm curious, how has your organization been able to forge this success path, just given all of those uh, unanticipated challenges? What, what's interesting, so we, we built the company with the idea that we were going to be 100% virtual because we largely believe that's where the world was heading. Uh, there's always going to be some roles that are going to be obviously on location, right, that are going to be necessary. But for on the tech side, we believe the world was going to be kind of virtual. And so we set up our infrastructure to be super flexible and allow us to adapt not only fiscally, but to adapt operationally to meet changes that were in the market. Uh, and so as we brought on our initial customers inside of Officium, we focused quite a bit of the, the work on ROI and the value and the customer experience. And we built some amazing relationships with our early customer. As, as COVID kind of hit, what we saw was a shift in the, the demand in the market was people still want that value. They want to deliver that experience, but they want to do it in a much more cost-effective, flexible way. So as we quickly saw the market pivoting, we pivoted as a company because we were already on demand. We already had these workers and we put more emphasis on these kind of on-demand customer service beta test workers so that we could help these companies that were going through these struggles. So I think one of our you know, key investors, Kevin Chu, who's the CEO of Kabam um, before he sold it. And he's the he's the kind of chairman of Forte Labs and as well as Generation Gaming. He taught us early on about the importance of a pivot in startup. He's like, your business is going to change a lot. You have to be ready to move on a dime. You, your model may even change as you go through the process because of macroeconomics or because of macro trends that are happening in the world. So you have to be ready to move and pivot. So we we always had been prepared for pivots or changes that were needed. Uh, we have been fortunate to have amazing customers that you know, really want to see the relationship through the pandemic. And we've been fortunate to gain customers and be able to retain all of our people and grow and 
provide jobs for for more people. So we've been fortunate in that sense. But for us, it's all all been about being flexible, adapting, and pivoting to the changing market. Yeah, I think those are the operative words that now I think all companies are realizing is how they've got to be, right? There's just no, the, the, the list of what is a, a certainty over the long haul is, is really shrinking. And so uh, keeping your options open, maintaining flexible structure, uh, absolutely critical. And obviously during challenging times, the team leadership component inside of companies uh, as you're dealing with your own people is crucial in so many ways. What are some of the leadership principles and values that are making a difference at Officium? And we mentioned the ethos principles earlier. Uh, Perhaps you could go into more detail on that. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, people do business with people. They don't do business with spreadsheets, numbers, products. They do business with people. And I, I think you have to take care of your people, especially during the COVID experience. One of the things that I've really reinforced with my people is you're always going to have enough work. There's always going to be more work than there is hours in the day. Uh, we really need to make sure we're doing a, a good job of balancing your health uh, as well as the productive work that you do for our company. So one of the things that we, d- we did pre-COVID and we still do is once a month, everybody gets a three-day weekend, full stop. The whole company does. Um, And we did that because we found that workers were overworking and not taking time for their health, for their family, for things that they just need to do day-to-day to run run their, their personal life. And so as we kind of moved into the COVID period, we started to increase that frequency where we, we give two days now, right? Instead of one for folks to do that. We also don't ask any questions if people need to take time off for their family. There's a no questions asked policy. If you need to take time for your family, take time for your family. Um, and so I think the, you know, the first and the most important ethos is really taking care of those people. And then what you find is that, you know, the other ethos is around, you know, customers being the lifeblood of your company really passionate people that feel like they're looked after are going to take care of your customers, right? And looking at that long-term revenue and that stickiness, building relationships with those customers is is super critical. And happy people um, meet, largely equals happy customers. And so I think I, I have a lot of ethos that I've, I've shared, but the most important one, especially at this point in time, is really best-in-class teams really take care of their people and help them reach their potential, and then make sure that they can find that purpose on a day-to-day basis in the work that they're doing. Because if they do that, then they're going to be able to deliver that great customer experience to our customers and help our customers be successful in working with, with their customers and to drive the value that they need to continue to be successful as a company. Yeah, in one essence, it's uh, that pay it forward concept, right? You, you're taking care of your people that ultimately uh, it just has that ripple effect out to what ultimately is the customer experience they're delivering. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And so when you think about how customer service and the customer experience uh, is delivered and you look ahead in terms of the future, what gets you the most excited? 
I had this question once where somebody was like, where do you think we're going to be in 2030? And I said, call center on the moon. And I was like, well, that's, <laughs> yeah. probably, that's probably not true. Um, I think what gets me more the most excited is I, I love talking to young people. Right? I, I, I say that now because I guess I'm old because I'm over 40. But, uh, but I love talking to young people because the way that their minds are wired it, is so much different than me. They just think differently than me, right? And so I love kind of watching these new generations come up and how they interact with products, how they interact with each other, the types of services, you know, that they expect, you know, or the type of engagements that they expect. So I'm kind of excited to see what the next generation comes up with, with more kind of fluidic communication, right? Uh, I think asynchronous chat is like a first step in that direction of just that fluid conversation that happens. I think video is going to become a much bigger thing where rather than doing just, you know, these verbal or written kind of communications, there's probably going to be a lot more video communication that comes into play. I also think that a lot of companies are going to integrate the support experience right into the product. So it's, it's more seamless. And it's just actually part of the product function. So rather than having to go to, oh, I need support. Let me go find support in a product. It's just going to become part of it. So the the vision that I've had in the future about this is a, a virtual companion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That just that just kind of knows you as a customer with all the big data that's in the product and knows exactly what you need at, at kind of all the time at, at you know, all the moments that you're kind of in. In, engaging it's almost like if you watch marvel con marvel uh, as, a, as a movie and you look at some of the characters jarvis is that character that's in the suit heads for tony stark i just imagine we're all going to have our own jarvis inside of every product that's just going to know exactly what we need talk to us engage with us and build a relationship with us in a, in a meaningful and interesting way that it doesn't exist today uh, and so i think that's where the future is headed but i think there's a lot of steps to get there. And part of that is to see how these young people prefer to communicate and engage with each other. Yeah, Jerry, you're really getting me excited now. I really need that assistant. I need that virtual assistant. I need it too. <laughs> so I can't wait. I can't wait till, till we have that available. Well, Jerry, thank you so much uh, for sharing your experience. And of course, your success in year one at Officium is truly impressive, but appreciate you coming and sharing your uh, best practices, experiences uh, that are helpful for all of us. Uh, thank you, Dan, for the opportunity and um, for your listeners for being willing to take some time to learn about customer service and customer experience in the future of networks. And a reminder uh, for all of you that are really enjoying and benefiting from this podcast, please take a few minutes to go out and rate and review. The feedback is really important. You can do that quite easily through Apple Podcasts. And also, as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.